Well, thank you so much, worship team. We uh, certainly appreciate all of you, and uh, we also appreciate our IT team, <laughs> without which none of this would be possible. So for all those, and they know who they are, who've been here for two and a half months uh, plugging away, God bless you guys, and thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Well, do, with, uh, do me a favor and uh, turn to chapter 2 of the book of 1 Peter. Chapter 2 of the book of 1 Peter. Uh, we ended at chapter 10 last week, and we're going to resume at chapter 11 and hopefully get to the end of the chapter. <laughs> uh, chapter 2 of 1 Peter, verse 11. Uh, but before we do that, let's just remember and remind ourselves who we're dealing with here. Much of the New Testament is written by a guy named Paul. He's not writing this one. Uh, his colleague, Peter, is writing this book. And that's fascinating given what he says and given who he is. Uh, as we've talked about now for a couple, uh, a couple weeks as we've introduced this book, uh, this man was from the uh, northern part of Israel in Bethsaida, near uh, the northern or just north of uh, the Sea of Galilee, right above Capernaum. And he was a fisherman. He was married. He had uh, uh, an encounter with Jesus in which there was a miracle catch of fish, and that led to him uh, following the Lord. Of course, he was brought to the Lord first by his brother Andrew. His brother Andrew, what a sweet thing. You don't find that in brothers sometimes. But uh, here, the brother uh, brought him to the Lord. Great stuff. And uh, Peter then lived as one of the 12 disciples. And uh, he was sort of a kind of a, a, a leader type, a, an outspoken type. I can really resonate with this guy, not that I'm a leader, but that he oftentimes would put uh, his foot in his mouth. He uh, did some impetuous things, some emotional things, and uh, uh, boy, I, that certainly resonates with me. He was part of that inner core of disciples, right, with James and John. And he got to go places that some of the other, or they got to go places that some of the other disciples uh, didn't uh, get to go. But, uh, of course, uh, the uh, Mount of Transfiguration, and uh, he was farther in, uh, in the garden, or they were farther in the garden uh, than the other disciples. And uh, he had just such an interesting life through the, the Gospels. Uh, uh, you know, he was the one who walked on water and uh, uh, took his eyes off of uh, Jesus. And uh, he, he did lots of things during his life that we could point to and talk about. But uh, many of those things were marked by what we would consider in the human terms failure. Failure. In fact, on the night in which uh, Christ was betrayed, he uh, denied the Lord three times. You know this. He denied the Lord three times. And yet, uh, the last chapter of the book of John, he, uh, Jesus, our Lord, restored him for ministry. And I think tonight uh, or today, we're going to see uh, why it is that uh, a life that failed, according to the human terms, actually succeeded. Uh, I think uh, right here in this book, in this, these chapters, uh, he talks about that. But uh, uh, what a life uh, that the Lord could come and use someone like Peter, someone like Peter who 
you know, uh, stumbled and fell and got back up again and then stumbled and fell and had what we would consider some successes uh, uh, as he preached uh, uh, in the book of Acts and many came to know him. What, what the Lord did in this man's life is beautiful and it comes pouring out, doesn't it? It comes pouring out in his book, First Peter, or his letter. And we saw, uh, as we've been examining this over the last a couple weeks, that this uh, letter is written to these churches uh, in Turkey uh, Minor, or excuse me, Asia Minor in Turkey. And uh, they were read in each one of the the churches uh, that uh, is set forth in uh, chapter 1. Now, one of the things, and I won't go through all of it, that I just want to make sure we all remember Here he talks about in the uh, first chapter, right there in the uh, second verse, that there's grace to you and peace be multiplied. Remember that? So this book is grace. It's talking about the grace of God and uh, then the peace of God. Remember, we can have peace with God and then we can also have the peace of God but it's always, um, uh, you always have to, uh, need to find the grace before you, there's peace. There must be grace before there's peace. And there is grace before there's peace because God sent his son Jesus uh, to uh, save us from our sins. What, what a blessing. And we went through uh, the whole heavenly inheritance and living before God our Father, and uh, uh, how enduring, how eternal the, the word is there in chapter 1. Now, the other thing that you must remember about this is this is written in a time that is uh, the, the Christians are under intense persecution. Uh, back in Rome, which is where most people believe this letter was written from, uh, there was a, an emperor named Nero, and Nero uh, had his, watched his city, Rome, burn down and uh, wanted to build it back up and be a grand hero, but he uh, was caught in, in, uh, in certain ways. He was caught in the fact that uh, he didn't uh, save his city, and so the people started to rebel against him. So he looked for a scapegoat or a people who he could blame this on, and he blamed it on the Christians. And there, uh, the, because of that, there was tons of intense persecution, and we talked about that. And there's history that says that that persecution then went out through the Roman provinces, of which uh, this letter is addressed to. So the people who are reading this, uh, Peter is gearing them up for intense persecution. And you know this in the book of John, the 17th chapter, Jesus our Lord said this, There will be tribulation. In this world, disciples, followers of Christ, there will be tribulation, persecutions, and trials. And and so uh, this is a great book to study. Well, one thing, grace. Grace is all over this book. What else is all over this book? We've talked about it before. Hope. Hope. Not a hope so, but a confident assurance of future glory and blessing. We keep saying that as uh, one commentator has told us. Jesus is our hope, the Bible tells us in 1 Timothy 1.1. And I wonder if you know that today. Are you counting on that today? That Jesus is our hope in the middle of two months of lockdown. Are you counting on Jesus as being your hope? Have you come face to face with that? Because hope is something that we need. Of course, this book is about 
uh, persecution, but it's also about faith surrendering all you are and all you can be uh, to God and his word despite, listen, despite any circumstances or consequences. Can you be that? Are you uh, a person of faith? And here, the Lord uh, directs us to that. So we have some themes. We have grace. We have faith. We have hope. We have suffering and persecution. And last week, in chapter 2, at the beginning, uh, Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, directed us to the healthiest place that we all could be, consuming the Word of God like a newborn babe. Like a newborn babe, as a babe who has to have that milk, the word, to grow and to live and to be nourished. And I'm wondering if we are all taking advantage during this time. What else do we have to do, the Lord is saying to us? He stripped away the TV and all the movies and everything else. He's put us in our homes and we can be people who redeem the time or we could be people who waste the time. And here, just feeding on his word day and night. What a blessing. He talks about that right there in the first couple chapters of chapter 2. And then he says that he's the chief cornerstone. He's the perfect stone in which we build all, all upon our lives and our churches. And then we're called living stones, and stones have sharp edges. We talked about that. And the, the Lord is chipping away at us so that we can be fit together based on the cornerstone, not based on us. The cornerstone's not set based on us. We're set against the cornerstone. Understand? Make sense? And now we get to this place. We get to this place. The, uh, Peter is telling us who we are in Christ a chosen generation, verse 9 of chapter 2, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. And we talked about that. Now, here's the last thing in prep, in going for this, uh, the end of chapter 2. We said this, it's as if Peter, under the Spirit, the inspiration of the Spirit, has been charged with telling us who we are in Christ who we are in Christ so that we can thrive and be victorious even in the persecution or the tribulation. He goes back over and over again telling you who you are. And so uh, we get now to verse 11. And I'm going to read to the end of the chapter, of chapter 2, and then I'll pray. And uh, we'll dig in and see what the Lord has for us this morning. Well, Lord, thank you. We do. We need your help. Uh, by your spirit, Lord, would you uh, uh, give us your words from heaven telling us what these scriptures mean? And, uh, uh, and then, Lord, help us to apply them in our lives and to live them out so that we could go out by uh, your resource and strength, loving a hurting and dark world and sharing the gospel with them. In Jesus' name, we pray. Well, you know this. If you go back to verse 10 of chapter 1, the writer here, Peter, talks about salvation and that the prophets who had inquired and searched carefully about such salvation, salvation being uh, eternal life with God because of the blood of Jesus Christ and his resurrection, being saved from eternal separation from God. Notice here in verse 10 that it's all about grace, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. 
Now, do me another favor. Look up in verse 13 of chapter 1. If we are to live uh, uh, rightly and obediently, guess what else we need? (laughs) I, I shouldn't have said it that way. Guess what we need? We also need grace not only to see who we are and to come into the family of God uh, uh, by uh, salvation or through salvation, through faith, grace, through faith, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, but then to live the Christian life, we need grace. We need his grace. Look at this. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, verse 13, be sober and rest your hope fully. What? Upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Yes, we cooperate with God and are obedient, but we need God's grace and power and resource to live this life. Remember? Okay, with that backdrop, check this out. Verse 11, chapter 2, 1 Peter. Here we go. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, Abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Verse 13, therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king." Now go on to verse 18. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable if because of conscience towards God or toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongly. For what credit is it if, when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is is commendable before God. For to this you were called, you might want to underline that, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree." that we having died to sins might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseers, or overseer, excuse me, of your souls. Wow, how beautiful is this? Well, listen, uh, G. Campbell Morgan writes this about this section, as we are to be sojourners and pilgrims and begin to examine All the different types of submission. Listen to this. This is really beautiful. Grace is also the secret of conduct. Maybe you might want to jot that down. Grace is also the secret of conduct. This portion of uh, Scripture is illustrated in the simplest relation. 
in all the apostolic writings, the most, the most radiant, beautiful things of the Christian life are spoken of as being exhibited, this almost makes me want to cry, where the world would be least likely to look for them. Let me read that again. In all the apostolic writings, the most radiant, beautiful things of the Christian life are spoken of as being exhibited where the world would be least likely to look for them. The grace, that is the glories and beauties flowing out as a result of this life communicated by Christ, is most radiant, ra radiantly revealed in the most trying and difficult circumstances. Is that beautiful or what? How about this, beloved? He doesn't, don't you see this? He writes, beloved, you're loved. You're loved, Peter says. You're loved. And he knows that you and I, we are going to go through tribulations. In this world, Jesus said, as I said earlier, there will be tri tribulations. He then uh, points you to who you are. Remember this. Remember this. Whatever you're going through, a physical ailment, a financial ailment, a relationship uh, worry, a job worry, I, I don't know, uh, uh, all kinds of things. Beloved, here's what Peter says under the, the Holy Spirit's influence. I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims. He wants you to remember that you merely are en route now. You're a pilgrim, a sojourner. You're just passing through. You could look in Hebrews 11, 9, uh, Philippians 3, Acts 7. You could look at all these different places. You could look at all these places that you and I, we, were not meant for this world. We're meant to be with the Lord. We're just sojourners and pilgrims. And because of that, we're to abstain from lush, fleshly lusts, sorry, fleshly lusts, which war against the soul, which makes you, do you get this? Which makes you and I, whether we're in the military or not, and God bless our military, but if you're in the military or not, uh, whoever you are, how old you are, how young you are, you're a soldier. And here, as D.L. Moody said, and as the Eubank guy said, Mr. Eubank, uh, in the uh, Free Burma Rangers, the problem isn't out there. The problem's in here. You have a war going on. You're to abstain from uh, fleshly lusts, which war against the soul. D.L. Moody said this, I have a great problem, and the problem is me. And the problem is me. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 5, and you can see this. Uh, very famous portion of scripture. You can see this right here. Uh, verse or cha chapter 5, Galatians, verse 16 through 21. I say then, walk in the Spirit, verse 16, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So here's this war we see. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law. In fact, in Romans 8, it says, how do you fulfill the law? You walk according to the spirit. You yield to the spirit. 
Anyway, going on in verse 19, now the works of the flesh are evident. They are evident. Just turn on the news. Just look around in your neighborhoods. Uh, But maybe most importantly, look within yourself. What wars there? The works of the flesh are evident. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery. I always point this out, which is a word in the Greek called pharmakia, like pharmacology, sorcery and drugs, closely related. Hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. I'm going to go on in verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. How beautiful is that? But here, when you turn back to 1 Peter, you recognize that there is, even within the Christian or within the Christian There's this war going on, and you're called to be a soldier. You're called, though, to depend upon the Spirit. We're only doing two things, one of two things, every day, all day. We're either walking according to the flesh, or we're yielding to the Spirit. And as you read what the fruit of the Spirit is, of course, we want to walk according to the Spirit. And yet, when we give place to our fleshly lusts, They can rise up and entice us into sin, and then we commit sin, and so we are to wage war here against them. Look in verse 12 then. Why do we want to engage in this war? Well, your conduct would be then honorable among the Gentiles, and that's the way of saying not the people of God. And in our context, it would mean unbelievers. So, beloved, I beg you as people who are just passing through, as soldiers to Stay away from fleshly lust, but be filled with the Spirit. I'm putting that in there because I put or talk to you of Galatians 5. Having your conduct honorable among people who don't believe in the Lord. In other words, so that they can't say really, truly anything negative. Oh, they may make it up, but it's not true. That's not true. So having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, the Lord is calling us, listen to this, to live lovely, graceful, spirit-filled lives that when it shines out among the Gentiles, when it shines out among the Gentiles, those who are unbelieving, People then look and see, oh my, there's life there. There's something different. There's joy that can't be contained. There's praise and faith and grace and mercy and forgiveness and self-control that you don't see anywhere else. Why is that person different? The unbelievers would say. And then you can speak to them about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Of course, faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God, and yet your lives shout to the world about who you are and who I am. 
Here, he says, make uh, your conduct or have your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they might speak against you. They may, by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Now, that's an interesting phrase. Many of the commentators, or or, excuse me, the commentators are at odds about what that means. Uh, Most commentators believe this is uh, at the ultimate uh, uh, day of God or judgment of God or uh, uh, appointment with God, uh, that when When they speak against you as evildoers, unbelievers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. In other words, um, there is hope until the end of their lives that they would come to know Jesus in a real and saving way and thus have eternal life because of your conduct, of what you've, uh, 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 um, uh, how you've lived your life and what they've observed and then the way in which you've shared the gospel with them. And there's a, a coming a day when uh, the Lord will impress upon their heart that they su- should surrender their life to, to him and uh, they will have their opportunity and they could look to you as an example of God's grace, Right? Or it could mean uh, any day uh, in which the Lord comes and, uh, uh, like I said earlier, uh, prep somebody's heart and bring them to the place where they have that great and wonderful opportunity to love the Lord. So it might be end of days visitation is what I'm trying to say. Or it might be what they're saying here is that uh, there's going to come a time when you're going to hear the gospel. It might be today might be next week if you're an unbeliever. And you're going to remember all that the, uh, uh, someone has shared with you, and then you're going to look around at the Christians and see their lives. And hopefully, it's going to be one of grace and mercy and love and patience and strength and meekness and all those things we've talked about, and it'll be something that they desire to have. It'll be good. And so this is a big um, message to us, isn't it? How we live our lives matters. How we live our lives matters. Now, we're not perfect. We make mistakes. We sin. But are we people who hold grudges without asking for forgiveness? Are we people who are peacemakers? Are we people who are trying to bring people together in in the right and appropriate way? Are we asking for forgiveness when we mess up? Are we humbling ourselves? Or are we prideful and always entangled in bitterness and, uh, uh, you know, strife. What is it? And so uh, people are going to be looking at your life, and it matters. It matters in a big way. And one of the ways in which people are going to look at you is at your work. At your work. Oftentimes, you know, we think about uh, going to church on Sunday, and then, <clears throat> oh, well, then I'll go to work, and we compartmentalize our lives. And we you know, holy and pious on Sunday and then get to work on Monday through Friday and live like hell, quite frankly. And we, we just compartmentalize and we uh, leave him out. And here he says that that's not possible. Uh, God's grace, God's grace that fuels us, that supplies us, that gives us resource and strength. Listen to this. You and I, we will be submissive. Well, let's look at the ways in which we'll be submissive. Well, one way we'll be submissive we read about in James 4.7. Anybody who claims the name of Jesus Christ, listen to this, uh, 
James 4, 7 tells us that all authority comes from God, the creator of heaven and earth, and we're commanded to submit to him. You say, well, okay, yeah, okay. Well, really? All right. Well, stand in my shoes sometimes. You got people with problems, and you'll say the most uh, uh, common one is there's friction between two families or two people, and you'll say, um, okay, so what's going on? And they'll tell you, and then you'll say, well, have you gone to the person and asked them forgiveness or discussed it with them? And they'll say, no. And you'll say, well, uh, well why not? And they'll say this almost, almost 70% of the time, I can't. No, when you say you can't, it doesn't mean you can't. It means you won't. In other words, you haven't submitted to the Lord because the Lord calls us to do those sorts of things. He calls us to hard conversations sometimes. He calls us to forgiveness. He calls us to uh, not revile when we've been reviled, to bless, in fact, when we've been reviled. So we shake our heads when we say, oh, yes, we've submitted to him. But the way in which you can tell you've submitted to the Lord is over the next few verses or next few topics that we're about ready to discuss. And the first one is in your employment area. Well, listen to this. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of, or excuse me, into the government area. Sorry, government and then employment. Uh, First one is submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. Every ordinance of man. Okay, whether to the king is supreme or to, does this sound familiar in the last two months, or to governors? Can you believe we're talking about this now? As to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of of those who do good. I want you to mark this, for this is the will of God. See, this is serious stuff. This is the will of God that by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Okay, so let's talk about this. The first thing that uh, we uh, see whether or not we are submitting to God is he's asking us to submit ourselves to the ruling authorities, to the ruling authorities. That means if you happen to be red in political persuasion, when there's blue in office, are you submitting yourselves to them the ordinance of man for the Lord's sake? Are you submitting to the blue? And if you're blue, when red's in office, are you submitting to the red in the appropriate way outlined by the Lord? Time out, um, rabbit trail. It's beautiful, don't you think, that the Lord gives us an outline, not totally specific instructions about how to submit ourselves to the government. You can go in other places in the Bible, Romans 13 being uh, another one. Isn't it interesting that he doesn't give you uh, 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 specific instructions? He just gives you bullet points, an outline, precepts, principles. He doesn't give you, what should I do in this uh, uh, area and what should I do in that area? Why do you think it is that he gives outline and not all specific instructions? Here's why I think it is, because in the midst of the battle... He wants us, he wants you, he wants us to lean into him in prayer and communion and to hear from him and to uh, come to him for advice and help and wisdom. And here, don't we have a timely 
piece of scripture, we're to submit ourselves to God, James tells us. Okay, what does submit mean? It means put ourselves under and stay there, abide. Put ourselves under and stay there, abide. And then he says, oh, you want to abide in me? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to submit to every ordinance. That means institution. All the institutional ordinances. He wants us to abide by for the Lord's sake. Now, I want you to see that, and I want you to circle it. Do you realize in all of these areas of submission, if you look at it versus red, as if it's red versus blue, or blue versus red, or we don't like that politician, or he doesn't like us, you're missing what a Christian should think in these situations. And here it is. You know what, the, you know what it is? See, in all of these uh, relationships that we're going to talk about here, there's a third person involved. It's not us versus them. It's not them versus us. There's always a third person, and the person is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is here in the midst of governmental submission. Even now, folks, as we wonder what we're to do here in this pandemic as a church, I'll talk about it in a minute, but I want you to see we're doing these things. We're submitting to the ordinances of man. Why are we doing it? We're doing it for the Lord's sake because he's asked us. And if you thumb your nose at what you want to thumb your nose at, you're disobeying the Lord, and so am I. Now look, I get it, right? In this particular instance, here in this pandemic, we have competing instructions. The Bible tells us that we are not to forsake assembling together. And so for this uh, two-month or two-and-a-half-month period, we have this, these uh, two principles that seemingly are at odds, Right? Seemingly at odds. The Bible calls us in a kingdom way, not humanly, a kingdom uh, principle way, to not forsake assembling together. Part of being a Christian is that we're in fellowship. We were designed for fellowship. Go back to the book of Genesis. We crave fellowship. I think it's been put in there. We grow in fellowship. We exhort one another and love one another and pray for one another and on and on and on, one another, one another, one another. But in order to do that, we must be together. And God calls us not to forsake assembling together. And yet, uh, there has been these orders or these guidelines, whatever you want to say, that said, stay home and don't mass gather. So what do you do? Well, it's a very difficult decision. I had the uh, blessing, or maybe not the blessing, I'm to joke, of attending law school. I went to law school. I'm a lawyer. I can't think of a better law school exam than this one, this real-life situation. Here you have God's law. Of course, God's law higher than man's law, and yet he put people into government, and he said, obey them and submit yourselves to them. And so you have these two competing interests, to honor the governing authorities or to honor God. And it's difficult, and it's hard. He doesn't give us all the instructions And yet the Lord's calling us and the leaders of this church to gather and to pray and to think and to talk and to look at Scripture and to come to a decision in leadership about how we should get back together and what that should look like given the resources that we have and all that the Lord speaks to us. You see it? 
And one of the things I would say to the crowd who wants to come back immediately is this. You know, we have people in here who are in vulnerable populations, whether they're uh, outlined in the CDC guidelines or not. They have things. They have medical issues. And, you know, in some ways, we're only as strong as our most vulnerable. We're called to protect the vulnerable. You know that? Orphans, widows, the sick, the poor. We're called to stand up for and protect the vulnerable. And so we have that interest going on. We don't want uh, anyone to die, and we want to be safe. And then uh, the Bible says, but, but wait a minute, you're to come together and to worship and to uh, uh, be in fellowship, and that's a, a kingdom law. And, that's, and so you're looking at this like a, a law school exam, should I or shouldn't I? I read one place this. You know, there's other uh, ordinances or uh, government uh, uh, declarations that impact a church. For instance, I'll give you one. Do you know that most uh, municipalities have building codes? Building codes. And when you're building your church, if you try to open up and you don't have a fire suppression system or a fire uh, exit uh, signs or uh, you, you, you built in a certain way or your wiring is a certain, co- uh, not up to code. G- guess what the codes in those municipalities or boroughs or wherever you are say you can or can't do? They say you can't open. Why do they say you can't open? They say you can't open because it's not what? Safe. Is not safe. So they're shutting down a place of worship, and yet they're doing it because they're concerned not just with the place of worship, but with safety in buildings. Get it? And so you have that interest here too. And I got to tell you, at the beginning of all of this, uh, as we were all trying to figure out, is this real? Is this dangerous? What's going on with this uh, virus? Yes, I think people, and even uh, the people in government, you can argue with me, it's okay, I don't mind. I think people were sincerely worried about virus and spread and mass gatherings. But now as we've moved on, and we've seen the results of what this is, and, uh, uh, and what this virus is, and the impact of it, and when we've seen around the country, although in Pennsylvania technically Uh, We haven't been ever told to shut down, but around the country, when other uh, uh, businesses like liquor stores or uh, some other places are uh, uh, considered essential businesses or ice cream shops, and yet the church isn't an essential business, now we start to have problems. Now we have to start, you have to start to ask yourself, is now it being uh, uh, aimed at or designed at not getting people back together? And of course, so we're balancing all this. And here in this part of scripture, you see, do you understand what he's saying? He's saying under the spirit, be a good citizen. Submit to the government as best as you can, as a good citizen. I know, he says, did you read it? I know you have freedom to do this or not to do this. But when you use liberty as a cloak for vice or to injure somebody else or to stumble somebody else, or if you flaunt it around, then you don't know what liberty is. 
In fact, if you read the book of Romans, Paul, with the meat from the idol shop, other people are stumbled by eating that. Paul says, I'm not stumbled by that. It's just meat. And I could eat it and it'd be no big deal between my relationship with the Lord. But if I bring that in here and it stumbles him and I just continue to do it in my freedom, that's not freedom. That's sin. And so I want you to see here in this pandemic, you see all these different competing interests that are coming to a head And look, we believe, yes, we believe. We are important and essential. And thank the Lord that the president even said that the other day. We're grateful for that. But even then, you see, we want to just make sure that our people are safe. And as we come back and start to ease in to in-person Gatherings. We still want to abide by the guidelines as good citizens and yet still um, um, expressing ourselves or, 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 or having our rights to assemble and to worship the Lord in, in, in worship here at the church. Does it make sense? One, uh, one uh, commentator, I think it's William Barclay, says, you know what freedom is? Freedom's not doing anything you want. Freedom is being free, God making you free to do what you ought to do. Big difference. Not freedom to do anything you want. That's licentiousness. Freedom to now do as you ought. You're no longer a slave to sin. You're now a slave to righteousness. And even if it will, uh, I could do it in my freedom, but it would stumble somebody else. Okay, I'll refrain. I'll refrain. Well, all that to say this, is that uh, this has been an amazing experience. It's grown me. It's grown our leaders. Uh, Hopefully, it's grown all of us. Um, Do I think, uh, and I'll give a little plug for the Revelation study, do I think that there's uh, some darkness behind uh, what's happening? Of course. I think uh, people uh, are being pushed Uh, to a place or condition to a place that they just accept what the government says? Yes, we all have those thoughts. It's so strange when you hear, wear a mask. Oh, wait a minute, masks don't work. Oh, wait a minute, wear a mask. It's so very strange to hear for months and months now that the virus stays on metal for long periods of time. Oh, wait a minute. No, it doesn't. It's so very strange. For two and a half months, we all know it. We could recite it. Wash your hands thoroughly, 20 minutes. uh, Stay six feet apart. This week, I saw an article, um, a, a news clip. Six feet doesn't work. It has to be 18 feet. What? And, and, and we're, we're being conditioned to stay away from each other, to wear masks. Of course, Yes. But see, we're alert and sober, and we recognize these things as Christians, and we understand. So yes, let's go out and uh, uh, submit to the, uh, to the governing authorities. But the Bible tells us, Acts 5, when they overstep their boundaries into kingdom things, Acts 5, 
that we're to obey God rather than man. And so there is room for that, but there's really much prayer. I find it interesting, don't you? Paul was a Roman citizen. You, you know that. Paul's a Roman citizen. If you explore the book of Acts, sometimes when Paul is put into prison, guess what he does not say? He doesn't claim his Roman citizenship. He could have. But at the end of his life, he's put in prison, and he claims Roman citizenship. He depends upon his governmental authority or rights given by the government to be tried by the Roman authorities. You remember that? Isn't that interesting? So I think all of this, in a very long-winded way, shows us that God gives us an outline, and he asks us to come to him, understanding all the issues, praying to him, leaning to him, and then being guided by him, look at this, with wisdom and discernment. With wisdom and discernment. I know. Listen to this. There's some people who's watching this. There's some people who attend the church. They, they want to come back to church immediately. I, I get it. I got to tell you, there's nobody, I, I guarantee you this one, there's nobody that talks to me that wants to come back to church more than me. I, I get it. And then there's some people who are really worried and frightened, and that's okay. God bless you. I'm not saying one's better than the other, and there's people in between. And so we are charged as shepherding all, not just some. And here we're trying to be ones who would do what verse 17 says, honor all people, honor all people, then love the brotherhood. We're trying to love you folks who wanted to come back to church two months ago. And we're trying to love you folks who are still nervous to do that. Yes, but we love you all. And hopefully you love us. We're to fear God, respect God. It's the beginning of wisdom. Fear God. And then listen, it's almost too hard to believe that he wrote this. Honor the king. Who's the king at the time? Who's the king of Rome? It's the emperor Nero who was actually killing the Christians. And he says, as much as you can, honor the king. There's one thing that Warren Wearsby says that's uh, good in this area. You don't always have to be happy with the person, but you need to respect the office. And I don't care what party they come from or what persuasion they are, honor the king. Well, how about this? He then goes on uh, to this, submitting to masters, servants, be submissive to your masters. At this time in the Roman provinces, there were several, several, several million, million slaves. And the slaves weren't just doing menial labor. You know the slaves were doctors, lawyers, teachers, nurses, whatever, uh, as well as, you know, menial work as well, all the way up and down the spectrum. It didn't matter. If you were a slave in the Roman province, though, uh, you were not a uh, person, you were a thing. And yet they did all of these important things. Here, he says, servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear. But in our uh, lifetime, we don't really uh, experience that as much. What we experience is that we are under the authority to make our living with employers. And servants or employees, we are to be submissive to our employers with all fear. We're to fear them. We're to respect them. And it doesn't say 
whether they're good or bad. <laughs> Might even say it later, but I, my point is, you're to respect your employers, the people who uh, you work for with all fear, not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the harsh. Well, there it is. It does say it. Not only to the good and the gentle, but also to the harsh. Even if they're nice to you, or excuse me, if they're harsh to you, you are to fear them, to respect them, to work hard for them. What should a Christian be at work? The best worker, the most responsible worker. What should a Christian be at school? The most conscientious, try their hardest. If you don't get all A's because you've tried your hardest, you've tried your hardest. But if, uh, if you're, you know, slinking around and just doing your thing, well, you're not honoring the Lord and being submissive uh, to him as he calls you to be submissive in all areas of life. And here, uh, as we uh, work for people, even gentle ones, or excuse me, even harsh ones, we are to fear and respect. Why? This is commendable in God's eyes, in God's economy. If because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. Are you catching what they're saying? <laughs> what the writer is saying here is you're not getting grief or being reprimanded because you made a mistake. You're being reprimanded wrongfully. <laughs> it's in the place where you did the right thing, but still your boss yells at you or comes down on you. Look at chapter, verse 20. For what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently. But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us. You understand this? Whatever you do, you, under, you understand wherever you go, when you're in the voting booth, when you're out doing, if you're working on campaigns, political campaigns, or if you're talking to people about the government, you, you understand there's another person there. It's the Lord. It's not just you versus them, them versus us. They're evil, we're not. We're great, they're bad. The Lord is there, and what he's saying is whoever's there uh, in power we are to be submissive as best as we can, as much as we can, recognizing that we couldn't go against uh, God in the area, uh, uh, the areas in which he's spelled out to us. We must obey God over men. What, why did he say that in Acts, by the way? It's because he was precluded from sharing the gospel. I gotta tell you, I'm going to get flack for this. You're going to get emails about this. I'll probably, people in this room right now, talk to me after. We haven't been precluded from sharing the gospel yet. We've been precluded from fellowship, and that is a kingdom thing, but we haven't been precluded from gospel. In fact, I would argue that through uh, the technology, we've been sharing with more people now than uh, we had two months ago. And probably you are, because what better time to share the gospel when it's the darkest? Now, what am, I, what am I saying? That we shouldn't open, that I'm all for this? No, that's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is we roll with what's been given to us. We've, we're rolling with this. We're rolling with it. And uh, you, in uh, your submission to masters or to your employers, you are to submit. You're to stay under. You're to abide. When, when the boss says you should pick uh, door A and you think door B, 
And you argue strenuously for door B. And then the boss says, look, I've heard everybody in the committee. Uh, We're going door A. You know what most people do? They go back into their cubby holes and they talk about the boss. How big of an idiot he is. He's not listening to me. He doesn't respect me. None of that stuff. Here, what the Bible says is, no, 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 no. You submit to that. You stay under it. He's the leader. God's appointed. You stay under that. Well, just a side note, by the way, thank the Lord that later now, here in the United States, uh, uh, the Lord and these wonderful people who worked against it uh, uh, did away with uh, slavery, and there's much more work to be done in the area of civil rights and Help us, Lord, to uh, come together in in those areas. But uh, uh, here, as we look at it, we can uh, take these things and run with them in the area of our employers. Well, catch this. I I read it. I alluded alluded to it. When you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, verse 20, this is commendable before God. If you take it patiently, if you've done good and you've still suffered... Uh, you, you take it patiently. This is commendable before God. You remember this? When Jesus was mocked in the high priest's house, he didn't speak out. He didn't speak out. Why didn't he speak out? Because he was submitted to the will. Mm, there's that word again. Because he was submitted to the will of the Father. And the will of the Father was that there be a sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice, the Lamb of God, the Messiah, uh, Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, would come and die and rise again for our sins, be justified, uh, our sins be put away, and we could come back and be reconciled to him. See, there was a greater and higher good, even above the suffering. And here Jesus did that. He didn't uh, speak up. uh, He didn't speak out. He was submitting, even in the suffering, and this is what he was called to. Oh, how, by the way, we don't ever uh, 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 memorize this verse and share this verse, do we? For to you, or for to this, you were called. That's what you're called to, folks. You're you're called to this. You You know, when people come and say to us, Oh my goodness, I've been falsely accused, and people are, I'm being persecuted for doing good stuff. Well, okay, this you were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Now, I'm not a smart guy, but even I can understand that one. Jesus is is our example in this area. Sometimes we need to just shut our mouth. Uh, Sometimes we, uh, as we uh, set our minds on things above, recognizing our citizenship is not in heaven, recognizing that we're sojourners, we're pilgrims, we're just passing through, uh, the Bible says that you'll be called to tribulation and suffering. In fact, Paul, Peter's colleague, said uh, this, I long to know uh, Christ and the fellowship of his sufferings. There's something mysterious and beautiful about knowing Christ in the sufferings. And to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us. Is, a, is the pupil greater than the teacher? Is the pupil greater than the master? No, our Lord suffered, and so will we. And some of you might right now might be going through that. This is not easy to preach, and yet it's true. 
He left us an example that you should follow his steps. And he quotes now, the writer does, from Isaiah 53. Who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. He committed no sin. He was not guilty. (laughs) What would we have done? I know what I would have done. I'd have been standing up, Pilate, what do you want me to say? What, What? And yet he had the higher and greater good, submitted to the will of the Father. There was no deceit found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, verse 23, did not revile in return. If you're like me, you almost come to even hate that word. I don't like to be reviled. You talk about put me in the flesh. Okay, revile me. It puts me right in the flesh. And yet here, he says, when he was reviled, didn't revile in return. In fact, on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, blessed are you when they persecute you. Blessed are you. Jump up and down. It means you're my child. You're a a born-again Christian, and they're going to think you're strange and persecute you. They will revile you, and when you don't revile in return, you are Christ-like. I am Christ-like. When he suffered there, he did not threaten, but committed himself. See, that's the point. Committed himself to him who judges righteously. He will leave it in God's hands. It's all right with God. He'll leave it in God's hands. He committed himself. We're to commit ourselves to him, saying, Lord, whatever you have for me, Wherever you take me, whatever it is that you do with me, I'm yours, and I'm not going back. We committed to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree. Now remember, there was another person that had an encounter with the tree, Judas. Both of them had tough lives. We would say, you know, they'd failed. Peter had failed, right? Peter had failed many times. Judas failed. What's the difference here? Jesus looked to the cross, or excuse me, Peter looked to the cross and resurrection of his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and the Lord came and restored him. Judas didn't look there. He went to another tree, and you know the story. See, Jesus bore our sins in his own body on the tree. 2 Corinthians 5.21, he who knew no sin became sin. Our sin was imputed to him at the cross. It was a curse to be on the tree, according to the Old Testament. He took the curse that uh, uh, having died to sins might live for righteousness. And you could go and read. It's beautiful. Do yourself a favor. Do it this afternoon. Go and open up Romans 6 and see that uh, when we are linked to Jesus, our old nature died with him, and now we're raised to new life with him. It's so beautiful. He bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness. You see, there's where freedom is. That's freedom. You now can live for righteousness when previously you couldn't. By those, or excuse me, by whose stripes you were healed, Isaiah 53. That's from Isaiah 53, the suffering servant. Now, I wanted to uh, talk about this for a second. What are you healed from? Well, you're healed spiritually. There are some people who believe this automatically gives you physical healing. I don't think so. 
Why don't I think so? Well, uh, we have hospitals and hospitals full of people. But we will be healed spirit, or physically. So when it says by his stripes you are healed, this is a spiritual healing that, yes, sometimes, because the Lord is the Lord, manifests itself physically. In fact, he tells us to pray for physical healing. And yet, just like Paul, Paul prayed for physical healing, never received it. But Paul gets a physical healing when he gets his glorified, resurrected body, and so do you and I. You see it? And that's a really important point. That can mess people up right there. Your stripes, you were healed. Yes, spiritually, thank the Lord. I can come back to the Lord. I can be reconciled to him. For you were like sheep going astray, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. What a beautiful picture. What a beautiful picture. Uh, He is our shepherd. We are sheep. What does that mean? We're prone to stray. He's prone to look out for us. He's prone to leave the 99 and go get the one. It's so beautiful. Uh, He's prone. What else does uh, a shepherd do? They would die for the sheep. Of course, our shepherd would do that, but he's not just our shepherd. He's the overseer of our souls. He's the overseer. What does that word mean? It means protector and guardian and guide and director. What a beautiful thing. Now look at this. Turn with me to Hebrews 13. Turn with me to Hebrews 13. We just got done getting through the book of Hebrews. Go there. I want to show you something, starting in verse 20. Thank goodness, <laughs> thank goodness that we don't have to have it all together in the spiritual life ourselves without resources and direction. Thank goodness we have a shepherd and an overseer of our souls and this journey we're on and walking with the Lord, right? Look at this in Hebrews 13. 20 and 21. Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep. He did this for his sheep, folks. Us. That great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant make you complete in every good work to do his will, will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. He doesn't just leave you there. He's the author and finisher of our faith. He's completing us. He's making us mature. He's not just our shepherd and our overseer. He is all of that. But then he gives us the ability. He impacts us in a way that we grow in Christ-likeness. How beautiful is that? Oftentimes, a shepherd Yes, they would train the sheep some, but, you know, there's so many sheep, and I don't have time for them all. Even here as a pastor, as you try to disciple everybody, even in a little church, you don't have time, all the time for everybody. And yet, look at this, look at this. Praise the Lord. It's not dependent upon this shepherd, but that shepherd. Amen? Well, do me a favor and pray with me. If you have been listening, thinking about this, wondering what it is to have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, then I want you to email us or contact us. 
We'll call you or get, uh, c- c- uh, contact you and talk with you about these things. If you need prayer, please call or contact. Uh, we'd love to pray with you. So do me a favor, uh, bow your heads with me. Lord, thank you so much for this word, uh, these words, Lord, that are so timely and so perfect. Lord, uh, you've put us directly, uh, as I say, in a law school examination. It's not an easy thing to figure out. There's so many considerations, so many competing interests, Lord, and yet you give us wisdom and strength and courage in the midst of the storm. And so, Lord, we pray that you would continue to supply this. And, Lord, in our own individual lives, we pray that you would continue more and more as we yield to the Spirit, uh, do uh, what you say you'll do in Hebrews 13. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.